Hi, and welcome back to the Leading Language and Literature Podcast with me, Chris Jordan. In today's episode, I'm talking to art and English teacher, Ethan Lester. Ethan is a multidisciplinary artist from Toronto, Canada. He holds a BFA from the University of Western Ontario and an MFA from the University of Victoria, where he taught photography and drawing. He currently teaches secondary visual art and English in Hong Kong. In this episode, we discuss the best book he's ever read or been taught, Ethan's background in photography and the extent it plays a part in his teaching career to date, who he considers are the pillar stones of photography that everyone either learns about or knows of in the industry, whether a set of integral terminology that newcomers need to know exists in order to analyse the photographer's message, how Ethan feels photography is different from any other art form in terms of communicating its message, and finally, for English or language teachers looking to teach photography for the first time, some key resources to look at. Thanks again to Ethan for taking the time to enlighten me on a portion of the new IB language and literature course that I feel relatively insecure about. Be sure to check out all of his suggestions in the show links below as they make for excellent consideration if you fancy teaching photography in the future. If you'd like to be kept abreast of when educational chat such as this becomes available in the future, then please subscribe using whichever podcast platform you use. Alternatively, you can follow me on Twitter at ChrisJordanHK. All right, Ethan, uh, just start by talking about the best book that you have ever read or one you were taught at school. Wow, that's a hard question. Um, I've always really enjoyed Catcher in the Rye and The Bell Jar, um, two very, very similar books. Um, but the first was taught to me. I think it's part of the year nine or the year 10 curriculum in Ontario. And then the bell jar was actually given to me by a teacher in year 10. So I really appreciated those books because they're this like account of angst and mental illness for someone who's quite young. And I think it was super important for me because it was, I was being seen by my teacher, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't being told these things. She just sort of gave me this book and said, you can handle this. This might be a good idea for you to read. And uh, yeah, Mrs. Miles, she gave me that book and it was really, it changed my life actually. Because when you're that age, you can't really talk about those things to teachers, even though the teacher's there to talk to you about it. Um, Just as a teenager who's experiencing these things, it was quite difficult for me to reach out to my family, to my friends. So it was nice to read these stories, which are very dark, intense stories, but they, they let you feel like this is happening to someone else. Yeah. I think that's why I've always been drawn to Plath um, because her work is just so uh, obviously real. Like it's just, it's as dark as possible and you can see like, wow, there's people who have these thoughts. It's just not like a, a common uh, type of book you would read. And just the, the, the age, the age group for those, those stories as well, really, I think is important for a kid to read something that's in their in their space like these people are experiencing something that i could experience or that i have experienced so yeah those are important it it feels like they're sort of like they're speaking your language so to speak aren't they in terms of like they're incredibly like empathic books both of them um Mm -hmm. but yeah yeah excellent lovely choices um in terms of the fact that obviously by by trade, you're you're an art teacher and 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 you're also kind of like a photographer. So um with regard to like your background in photography, um, to what extent does it play a part in your teaching now or your career to date? How much how much opportunity do you, do you get to bring that part of your, you know, that that kind of passion or um that creative side of you into the classroom in a more formal way? It's interesting because my grandfather is a photographer. He's 95 now. Uh, And he was a medical photographer. He was working for the government. And 
I would say that he was my first teacher. Like he was taking me to the gallery when I was four or five. I remember seeing paintings with him, like one of my first memories. And so it's interesting you say, how does photography relate to your uh, teaching and your education? I think it relates by the fact that my first teacher ever was a photographer. Mm. And I always, I don't know if you had this, but when I was a kid, I, I kind of was like, oh, grandpa, like whatever. Like you just don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't see old people mm. being like extremely smart when you're that young. You think that they're like, oh, you're not with the times. You're an old person. <laughs> but now I look back on it and like, he is the smartest man I've ever met. He's the only one that's been able to talk to me about things that I enjoy talking about. Um, so I think that's how photography has affected my teaching. It's just become, I don't know, this like cornerstone of education for me. And like how I learned was just talking to my grandfather about philosophical things or what do you see in this painting? Um, and yeah, he, he's just such an amazing guy and he obviously inspired me so much. And he was always the one in my family to say, do what you want, do what you love. Whereas my mom and my dad, they're like, go to, go into media, be a producer, get that uh, communications degree, make some money and do your art on the side. And what happened, I was failing communications in second year university and getting 90s in the elective art course. Mm -hmm. So I finally switched into visual arts and my grandfather was super happy. And yeah, and that's how it's sort of panned out. Went to uh, the University of Western and then to the University of Victoria, did my MFA. I taught photography during my MFA in Victoria, uh, contemporary photography. I was the TA for that class uh, with Tara Nicholson. And she got me to do a bunch of lectures, which, which was just lecturing the students on uh, different artists, different contemporary artists. So yeah, it has informed my practice as a teacher, uh, obviously in the visual arts courses, but in English, yeah, I guess, uh, especially with ESL learners, just using the image, I think is so important. Um, I'm sure so many of these kids as ESL learners, they're looking at slides, which is of writing, and it mm. must be so overwhelming, especially as a second language learner. So I think just throwing up an image and having them talk about what they see or what do you, what, what words come to mind? It's just such a nice uh, way to generate ideas um, and brainstorm from images. So I think, mm. yeah, that's how it's um, informed my teaching. And you sort of like you mentioned a, minute, a moment ago about the, like working in the, the university and sort of doing the odd lecture on um specific photographers or artists i think one challenge which mm. a lot of um english teachers are having at the moment particularly like ib teachers with this new requirement to do um photography as potentially do photography as part of the course is that you don't really know we, we talk about like the canon of western literature and we know that mm -hmm. you know um mm -hmm. there are good things and bad things to do with the canon but at least you've got an established list of go-to authors or, or, or texts and things like that. So in your opinion, like through your education and through your teaching and stuff, who would you mm. say are the pillar stones of photography that everyone either learns about or knows of within the industry? Uh, that's a really difficult one because there's this, uh, I guess, difference between fine art photography and photography. So mm -hmm. there's obviously all these amazing, famous journalists, right? Where we, we know a lot about, um, uh, or even, not even journalists, just like fashion photographers, like Richard Avedon, like a very famous portraitist. But like all he's really doing is taking pictures of celebrities. So you've got to um, separate, I think, the two. And when you are, uh, that's a good exercise for kids is to say, is this fine art or is this just photography? And that was kind of hard for me to figure out. But what you soon realize is that uh, photography uh, became a fine art movement, I'd say, in, in, in the turn of the century with Alfred Stieglitz. And he's a, a famous gallerist. Uh, he was in New York and he was taking tons of different uh, modernist photos. So he like just a crowd maybe uh, is his most famous photograph. It's a crowd on a boat. There's like some 
compositional things happening with a, a ramp and some ladders. It's quite chaotic, but if you sort of cross your eyes a bit at it, it looks like an abstract painting and it's not um, what we're normally used to seeing from a photograph, which was portraits or landscapes before that. So I think in the turn of the century, that's when it started to change. And Alfred Stieglitz is also very important because he was a gallerist. So he was starting to show uh, photography in the gallery. And that was a huge thing that was never happening. Um, and then right after him, um, all of these movements ha happened quite, uh, quite sporadically. That was like what happened after 1900, like modernism just exploded. And we've got data, we've got surrealism, we've got impressionism, and we've got all of these different um, movements, whether it's painting or photography. But um, in the data realm, uh, which was sort of like um, a rebellious form of art making, you, you might have heard of Marcia, Marcel Duchamp's fountain mm -hmm. piece where he put a urinal in the gallery and everyone lost their minds. So even, even using photography at that time was seen as a rebellious act. It was like, oh, photography, art, how dare you? So I think that's where Alfred Stieglitz really uh, changed the art world because he was giving artists the ability to say, okay, pick up the camera and use this as a tool. He was then also uh, famous for displaying Georgia O'Keeffe's nudes. So he had a relationship with Georgia O'Keeffe, the famous painter, and uh, he ended up displaying her nudes in the gallery without her permission, by the way. Uh, and then she divorced him and left for New Mexico. And that's a really interesting story. But um, so this idea of the nude having such a crazy uh, long history in painting now making its way into photography. So I think uh, just sort of tweaking these like regular forms of photography and making them fine art with um different techniques, sh shadows, lighting, um, but really what it comes down to is placing it in the gallery, which is similar to Duchamp's fountain. It's a, it's a urinal, we all know it's a urinal, but the fact that it's in the gallery makes it an artwork. Uh, the fact that the artist has chosen that object to put in the gallery makes it art. So whatever artist was going to use photography, that was going to be a fine art photograph. So it's actually not um, so much the difference between the types, but who's actually making it and what do they do? If it's uh, Richard Avedon, he's just photographing celebrities. If it's uh, Man Ray, he's actually cutting up photos and putting them into the gallery. So it's a difference between, um, I think, different practices and where they're coming from as well. Mm. Um, but you want more names, right? <laughs> I don't, want, wanna, some, I don't want to. You want some more names? I don't. <laughs> I don't want to sound too overly cynical, but like, uh, and I don't want it to come across as give me the greatest hits of photography. Um, but I mean, if there's, I suppose, is there the, the one thing that came through like my mind then when you were talking about like the Dadaism and, and surrealism? When was the? When would you say was the? the golden period or when was like the big creative period for photographers in the sense of it, it being fine art, would you say, was it part of the 20th century? Was it when, when do you think it was? Yes. What kind of names come out of that? Yeah, I would say 1900 until now, really. So early 1900s, Alfred Stieglitz, Man Ray, even Duchamp was taking photographs. Duchamp photographed himself as a woman. Her name was Rose Célavie and uh, play on words and um, very probably the first, uh, I'm, I don't think the first drag queen, but maybe the first artist to use drag mm. and use, uh, I guess, basically subverting portraiture, right? He was tricking people into thinking this was a woman's portrait. So um, from 1900 all the way until now, it's actually been quite constant. Um, Ansel Adams in the 40s and 50s, nothing uh, necessarily subverse or uh, groundbreaking, but his technique was so amazing. His technique mm. was the best anyone had ever seen. If you look up Ansel Adams images, mm. they're like the most beautiful landscapes, black and white landscapes you'll ever see. Um, and then you come to artists like Cindy Sherman in the late 70s and uh, maybe even 60s. She's 
uh, and still working today. I just saw her show at the uh, at the British the National uh, Museum in in London, and um, she was uh, one of the first, I guess, to really invent the selfie or um, start taking pictures of herself as different people. So, sort of running with that idea that Duchamp started, and she had this untitled films uh, films um, untitled. Uh, screenshot or untitled sorry not a screenshot it was an untitled film still series so she's got untitled number one all the way up to untitled number whatever I don't know maybe 200 plus now I think she's still making Mm -hmm. them but um, she was just posing herself in these fake films that she had created Uh, so it really there's tons of them I would say contemporary wise, probably Cindy Sherman is the most famous contemporary photographer alive and working, but we've also got Andreas Gursky who is doing these beautiful modernist uh, digital photographs that were huge prints of um, buildings or maybe dollar stores where it's just all you see is uh, consumerism or all you see is housing economy these sort of globalization these big ideas in these modernist um, geometric looking photos or um, yeah we've got maybe some artists that are groundbreaking but not for secondary schools we've got like Robert Maplethorpe we've got Sally Mann um, looking at sexuality looking at um, uh, different different subcultures Um, yeah so there's so many but um, I would think that you would find a really prominent one from each one of these movements. So postmodernism after the 60s, tons of mini movements that are happening maybe year to year uh, from 1900 to 1950. It's a bit, a bit more clear what's happening. But when postmodernism happens, it's just photography is incorporated into so many practices. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's sort of, any any artist can do it and uh i think all artists do mm. but um yeah the heavy hitters for me are cindy sherman i think and maybe i would say man ray man mm. ray and cindy sherman man okay. ray is like the 20s cindy sherman's like post 70s but uh gursky's very famous there's also canadian artists too i think that's really interesting is that regionalism also comes into it like i'm not sure how many people um, in the UK would learn about the Vancouver School of Photography, which produced lots of amazing artists like Vicky Alexander um, and Jeff Wall. Jeff Wall is really well known for his uh, cinematic photographs, weeks and weeks and months even of planning these photos. And they look like stills from, uh, from cinema. Also Gregory Crudson. Um, so yeah, there's different types uh, and uh, different, um, like I was saying, subversions or maybe innovations of these different uh, cornerstones of photography. So Cindy Sherman's obviously playing with the portrait. Um, Gregory Crudson and Jeff Wall are playing with the landscape. They're actually creating these narratives in the landscape now. Um, Who else did I say? Uh, Man Ray and a lot of those early artists from the 20s in data and surrealism, they were um, cutting up the photographs. They were the first mm-hmm. collage artists, the photo montage artists. So that's another thing you could look at um, is these artists actually using the photo as a material afterwards, sort of like the beginning of Photoshop. Yeah. That's um, a fantastic amount of um, artists to be going on with. That's really, really good. Um, I think what I'll do is what I tend to do is kind of any uh links to you know stuff we've discussed i always stick in the in the in the notes but i'll um it's a joy to always Mm -hmm. kind of actually go back through the episode listen to it do a bit of research and inevitably you end up getting lost and looking through these things so i'll definitely kind of um have a link to all those different artists um in 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 the show notes but yeah from from what you said then i mean i um i did a scheme of work on the thing is like with regard to like the ib it's obviously like any subject i suppose it's kind of uh, thematically um organized in terms of the the course and i kind of let 
the theme dictate the the text that I was choosing maybe not so much with the literature but definitely with the language so I was retrofitting um artists to the theme that I'd chosen which means that I was basically limited to uh either Nick Ute who um is the kind of the you know the Vietnamese American guy that used to work for the Associated Press and there was another uh British guy another British war photographer can't remember his name now and it, you know his photos are incredible but I was kind of I'm really keen to move away from war photography um so a lot of what you just mentioned then um sounds really really yeah fascinating worth kind of um pursuing so I'll um I'll have a look yeah, at them I myself. Think that's- I think that's interesting that you do say those artists because that is what I was I was remembering when I was thinking back to my English teachers using mm-hmm. photography. I remember this is this was also a thing in Canada, but it's always the journalistic ones. It's always mm-hmm. the you know, major moments, like the guy in front of the tank or the the yeah. children running from war. So yeah. it's interesting because you look at those images, and like I said before, we were discussing. Um, how photography is uh, is very much uh, different from English, and that you there's so many answers with English, science, math, music. Usually, there's one answer to this question, but if you're looking at a photograph, a fine art photograph, there's many answers. You can have a kid, mm. uh, anyone can interpret interpret this image any way they wish, but it's with those journalistic images it's quite hard to interpret because they're very much what they are. They're disasters of war. They're um, emotional images that change the face of the earth. And they went on the front page, but what, where is the interpretation? Where is the creativity for the student? You're going to get a bunch of the same answers. That's yeah. yeah, that's a really good point actually, because again, coming out, coming at it from like a purely cynical, I have to get them to pass the exam point of view. The most likely kind of vehicle for um, them coming into contact with photography, other than the teacher putting together a body of work, would be this thing called Paper One in Lang and Lit. And and it's completely divorced from context. So what you're saying there is spot on in in terms of, I, I don't think they'll ever choose a photo which is journalistic unless it's, Unless it's blatantly, I mean, if they choose a photo that's, you know, to do with 9-11, you know, Mm. you would assume maybe they would probably know what that was. But on the off chance that Mm. someone doesn't, I think they're more likely, like you say, to choose something which is a bit more open to interpretation, something that's a little bit more uh, introspective or open for analysis. So that, yeah, that again is kind of a push towards maybe... Or uh, like a, you've got to move away from these war zone bodies of work, or or kind of heavily contextual um, photographs. So yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward exactly, to looking up yeah. those uh, those artists. When it comes to like studying photography itself, then I mean again to to kind of use quite a a poor uh, analogy from literature. There's quite. When we talk about like uh, figurative language or any kind of sort of devices within literature, there's a very inelegant hierarchy of devices that we call mm-hmm. upon. So like, for example, metaphors and similes create characterization, characterization develops themes, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, within photography, like does a hierarchy of stylistic devices exist so in other words, what is like the integral terminology that newcomers mm-hmm. or, or or students in, in the IB course, the IBDP course, need to know in order to analyze the mm-hmm. photographer's message or even just their personal interpretation? Mm-hmm. It's interesting you've asked because I um I also think about this, especially uh, in the world, in the art world, not everyone's a technical photographer. Um, everyone's quite multidisciplinary because they are, uh, in first year, you do a survey, you do printmaking, you do sculpture, you do painting, you do drawing, you do photography, but not everyone, uh, talking about art has this technical background, which I think a lot of people do expect. Um, 
from the discussion of photography. Oh, you must know everything about photography. You must be technical. Um, so things like depth of field or um, uh, how how we're how we're looking at the composition. Those are those are pretty intense technical things that I would expect uh, a year twelve to know if they'd taken art. Mm. It's but if you're looking at a whole IB class, maybe only twenty percent of those kids have have taken yeah. art. So I wouldn't expect them actually to be discussing things so technically. I wouldn't worry about. Um, the the exact terms like depth of field or uh, deep focus or um, even even close up um, those sort of things are not as important as I would I would think the the terms the art terms are so the general art terms um, there's seven elements of art so I don't know if you remember them uh, when you <laughs> learned your elements of art but you, we've been learning them forever right it's just like yeah. since, since year one so you've got line you've got color you've got shape you've got form you've got value you've got texture and you've got uh, space and so those are the seven elements of art those are the things that an artist will consider when they're creating something and it it really does apply itself to photography so you can look at those seven things and those are usually what i will make a year seven write um, about in uh, okay analyze this painting using the elements of art so they've got a sentence or two describing the lines they've got a sentence or two describing um the shapes but then you go on to year nine and you've got principles of design balance uh unity variety emphasis movement pattern and proportion yeah that's a better list so those ones um would be a good way for them to start uh, talking about what they see. So, for instance, why is the, the the ladder so big? Why is the ladder? Why is the scale skewed for the ladder? What does that mean? Mm. Um, maybe the ladder is the most important part of the piece. Uh, is this piece about uh, climbing the social ladder? Is it about uh, leaving? whatever space we're in right now. Um, so each, it's, it is um, not as uh, hierarchical as, uh, as English, I think. But yeah, even metaphors, similes, allegory, they've all applied themselves to paintings and sculpture. And that's how art works. It's really, it is decoding. You are using all of your English knowledge to decode, but you're doing it in a different way um because it's actually yeah just more up to you it's I, I think that um it's the same with film analysis too it's why did the director do that well a lot of people might have a different answer um so i think yeah it's it's interesting um that this is becoming uh, a year 12 thing because a lot of a lot of students really struggle with this even even in year seven or or year nine to talk about a painting um, and go beyond just the design principles and the elements of art. So it's great that we're beginning to um, use these images to discuss further things that we talk about in a poem or that we talk about in a piece of writing. Um, yeah, because like imagery, all of these authors are, are painting an image for us and they're using um, very specific um, words to direct our uh, direct our mind somewhere. So when we are looking at the image, it's how do you describe it? So it's, it's very creative at the same time, but I think very similar to English mm. actually. So all those technical terms that you're probably worried about knowing, I don't think they're important. I think uh, it would be great if a student could come up with the reason why the artist have, has used a shallow focus here. That would be really great, but I don't <laughs> think it's going to be uh, as important as the creative aspect. Um, mm. Why are things a certain way? Or what are we looking at? Is that a metaphor for something? Um, but many paintings for thousands of years have been allegories or based mm. on symbolism. Um, Jan van Eyck, uh, he's a really famous painter. Giovanni wedding portrait has tons of little Easter eggs. Um, and all of these things mean something. 
same thing as the way food was depicted in art history for so many years. They all, every, every use of food meant something different. Um, oysters for sex, lemon for riches, whatever it was. Uh, a lot of these things have historical um, discourse. So I think it would be smart to teach them to actually do research, to look at the image and see what they're seeing and, and research those things rather than knowing why or how the artist did it, um, mm. to research what they see and come up with their own ideas, actually a much better route. Mm. That makes what's sense. The, yeah. What's the, like the visual significance, so to speak. Um, mm. It kind of makes me think of, cause uh, with um, MYP, you've got to do like um, mm-hmm. inter- interdisciplinary units. So I think mm-hmm. there must be lots and lots of schools who pair up with uh, like English pair up with art or visual arts or whatever it's called within mm-hmm. NYP. And I think that would be a good, rather than it being like a superficial thing of, okay, well, we're going to study this anthology of poetry or text. And um, alongside that, you're going to look at these paintings. Maybe if, if I'm just thinking about like, you know, where I teach, um, it might not be a better idea as like a long-term aim to think, well, what actual terminology can the two subjects borrow from one another in the long term? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think if you don't do it, like you say, if you don't do it at IGCSE and you don't do it at IBDP, and that is quite a common mm-hmm. situation mm-hmm. with, you know, kids who want to go into engineering or they want to go into law or they want to mm-hmm. go into, they might like art and they might like English, but they might not necessarily see it as, um, you know, the most kind of salubri- mm-hmm. um you know, kind of effective um, yeah. for, for education. Um, it might be that they stop sure. studying it at year nine, um, which means that, yeah. you know, there's a three-year or four-year gap before you're asking them to pick it back mm-hmm. up again. So um, it's also, yeah. it's also the, the way that it's taught, really. I think that mm. it, all of these things that I'm, I'm suggesting are definitely not how, schools really see visual art i think more and more the ib and like you said is is catching on but a lot of younger years art programs are very technical they want you to learn how to render the perfect still life and how to make your work mimetic we want to make this piece of paper look like what you see and that's basically what they've got in this curriculum and um, thankfully, the MYP uh, does does open it up quite a bit. Like I was recently working with Year Sixes and the science uh, the science teacher, and we were doing environmental issues, and they had to make a painting based uh, on environment and using found objects and recyclable objects to work with both of those. So I think yeah, you're right. Cambridge is stepping it up and starting to use these cross uh, cross curricular. Um, modes to support the art because I think the art especially where we are has been seen as something very technical when it's I thought um, it never was especially in contemporary art it's not uh, hardly about technique I think sadly a lot of those technical artists they become very commercial because someone's uh, willing to pay a lot of money for a beautiful portrait of our family that's sketched and rendered or uh, a, a lovely painting of my dog. Um, it, it doesn't become about the idea or why they made it. It becomes about their technique, uh, which is very full stop. doesn't go much further than that. So I think, uh, yeah, this is great. This is a really good news that I think the world is catching on that uh, artists can really apply their, their idea uh, or their their ability to create ideas to any subject. Um, another really great one we did, uh, which was in the MYP syllabus, was uh, time passing. Show show me time passing mm-hmm. in a photograph, in a sculpture, in a painting. But that was really great because then we had kids painting comets with tails. And that was just like so mind blowing to me that some little kid in year six could paint a comment and and tell me, well, this is so far away, but we're seeing the time. Mm. 
And it was just like, that's why we need to do this more because it's just opening up. That's like a beautiful poetic gesture that this 11 year old made. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think like the visual significance of something that's exactly, mm-hmm. that's a clear indication of someone understanding how, you know, uh, how another person looking mm-hmm. at something will be able to understand the same conceptual idea that they've had, despite the fact that they, yeah, like you said, they probably don't have um, a very good grasp of all the technical language or all the technical jargon, and yet they can communicate that really mm-hmm. clearly. That's, what, that's quite nice about photography as well, mm-hmm. that if, if you wanted to do something where you kind of got the students to um, empathize with what the artist is is thinking or going through. That's a lot tougher mm-hmm. challenge if it's if it's poetry mm-hmm. or a novel or even a movie because you don't have time to walk them through the minutiae of or even like it's it's quite a an undertaking. Whereas everyone's got a smartphone now. And we've all, you know, due to, you know, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or whatever, we're, we're all fairly invested in making sure we take the best possible photos of ourselves. So I suppose mm-hmm. it's it's not beyond the realms of possibility to get them to do a task in which mm-hmm. they take a photo of something which they find visually significant in relation to a certain theme. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of, it, it brings me on to like the, go on, sorry, Ethan. Well, I was going to say the personal the personal theme is good too, um, because back to what I discussed with Catcher in the Rye and the Bell Jar, um, Catcher is completely fictional. We don't know if J.D. Salinger really based that on anything, but what we do know is that uh, the Bell Jar is Esther Greenwood is Sylvia Plath. This mm-hmm. is a direct lift from her life. So there's that too. When you look at when you look at books, fictional autobiographies. You can immerse yourself into the story, but you also know that the story is real. This is based on experience. There is this like kind of higher connection. Um, And so when people are making art, I think it's really interesting that it it becomes a fictional autobiography. What you produce is your experience. It's your feelings. It's uh, all of these things, but it's abstracted to the point where someone else can now relate Mm -hmm. to it. It's not, it's not a biography, but it is uh, always attached to the artist in this very weird way. And that's an interesting part of um, analysis of art and even analysis of literature is wh- what's the context of the, of the artist or the author. So that's, uh, I, like the, I like when you said it would be interesting to give them, to just let them make something that they found significant. Uh, and whatever the, whatever the interpretations of their classmates were, I don't think it would be all the same. It would probably be very different at the end of the day. Mm. Mm. It's really exciting actually to think about that, like as a something to do maybe later in uh, in the school year. But anyway, um, with regard to obviously kind of um, we, we've named a number of different uh, art forms today in terms of how they communicate, you know, uh, conceptual ideas. But how do you feel photography is different from any other art form in terms of communicating a message? It's uh, very specific. I've always found um, photography quite difficult because, um, well, it depends on what kind of photography, because even now there's contemporary photography out there that's very abstract. Like I've got um, a friend, Laura Dutton from the University of Victoria, and she's photographing just color fields. Her, her, some of her work look like Rothko paintings. So it's, mm. it's really hard to say what, what is Rothko painting about? These are spiritual giant color fields. So really anyone can have a different answer for that. So, but when we're talking about um, uh, photography that has a clear subject, um, it's yeah, it becomes more and more difficult. And I think it comes back to the journalism thing. It's like, what are we looking at? Are we looking at a rotten still life from Sam Taylor Wood? Are we, are we looking at um, uh, maybe uh, a woman who is East, uh, East Southeast Asian and she's sitting on a couch with a redneck in the South? 
So a lot of a lot of photography, a lot of fine art photography is very specific. Um, so I think that's the difficulty is it can be limiting uh, limiting because we, we're looking at something that's very clear to us. Um, Sally Mann photographing her children in provocative ways. Uh, Robert Maplethorpe putting um, a horsewhip uh, in his rear end. These are very specific <laughs> things. So it depends. Like you don't want to show your kids those things, but um, what you would show them, I think, would be quite specific. It's quite hard to find abstract or, um, uh, yeah, very uh, uh, interpretable images. I think uh, looking at more abstract artists like Gursky, where it's just this giant photograph of a 99 cent store, it's a bit uh, further from the point. And I think that would be a good discussion. We could get consumerism on the table. We could get... Uh, the grid, just the idea of the grid in art history and the what why is the grid so uh, beautiful to look at? What are we uh, what is Gursky saying here? Is it about the world? Is it about order? Um, is it about uh, communism? Who knows, right? It's just I think the more abstract it gets, uh, the more discussion you can have. So, yeah, I think it's the same thing with the journalistic images, which I find are the most limited, where we know, okay, this is about the Vietnam War. Uh, mm. What can we pull from that? Versus, okay, this is Cindy Sherman dressed up as a pig woman from the Renaissance. Like, maybe there's <laughs> more to talk about there. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I always feel like whenever, <laughs> like, um, there's something about, I think... Uh, gallery photography or gallery um, like video art which is slightly uncanny like you find it slightly because I suppose mm -hmm. like if you go to a gallery and you know it's oil on canvas or, or whatever I as someone who's a relatively lay person with regard to art like I don't have any you know I've, I've, I've never painted and I don't really kind of engage in that world that often so it, it seems at least one step removed at the best of times but with with regard to photography mm -hmm. and video art it feels like you're more familiar with those two mediums and when you look at it there is definitely something slightly uncanny or slightly um not unpleasant, but certainly un unfamiliar. And, and, and it's someone I remember taking my dad to the Tate in um, Liverpool and he wasn't, it wasn't particularly interested in much of the, 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 the paintings or the, um, the kind of the more traditional art, but like with regard to the, he found the photography really provocative. Like he was offended by some, he was, he was indifferent to some, he was clearly, but it was the main thing that he was talking about when we went for a pint afterwards. And it's not because he particularly liked it, but it's because I think that he could relate to it as a medium. Um, and it always, it just seems like much, much more of an immediate art form to me than perhaps, um, mm -hmm. yeah, like I say, like kind of more sort of classically considered like painted art pieces. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, I suppose everyone takes it a different I, way. Yeah, I agree. I think it just the fact that everybody is a photographer, everybody has had access to this invention, whether it be a phone or if it was your grandfather, your uncle, like those, they had cameras as kids. Uh, those cameras were used to document important moments, births, fa like family trips, um, there is this, yeah, like you said, uncanny, personable uh, realm of the photographer or of the photograph. And so when you are seeing, yeah, nudes in the gallery or <laughs> you're seeing provocative work like Larry Clark's Tulsa, which is the heroin plague of America, or Nan Golden's photos of the 90s New York and seeing um, maybe the first trans person you're ever seeing is in one of her images. Um, a lot of you, like you said, a lot of these uh, a lot of these images are sort of um, there to be seen mm. because and educational in a way. Um, and uh, yeah, like you said, it's just, it's very much um, in your face and 
it is what it is a lot of the time. There are lots mm-hmm. of uh, contemporary photographers who who abstract, but like you said, yeah, it's there is this um, unforgiving quality, and yes, yeah, subversive, uh, perverse quality. Like you said, it could be unfamiliar and uh, yeah, still get under your skin because you yourself takes photographs. So even though you might not be artistic, um, I think we are all artists. That's something that I think a lot of people don't realize is that we are. Um, but just because you don't study it or you don't practice it doesn't mean it doesn't make its way into your life. Like everybody makes creative choices, the way they get to school, what they wear, um, how they plan their scheme of work. Lots of the creativity is hidden in there. Um, for um, English teachers or, or I suppose language teachers, because photography now falls under the realm of every language within the IBDP, um, if, if they're looking to teach photography for the first time, what do you think are the go-to resources for that? Where should people be looking for ideas or inspiration? Um, so there's a great book that Tara Nicholson introduced me to uh, when I taught the f- lectures for the first year photography course at the University of Victoria. It's called the photographer, sorry, the photograph as contemporary art, and it's by Charlotte Cotton, and it's already on the third edition. I think I read the first edition when I taught it, but uh, that was excellent because what it was doing it was it was very specific to movements. So it would say, okay, we're looking now at um, multidisciplinary artists like Issa Jenskin, and she's a German artist that makes these wacky assemblage art sculptures. They're photos laid on top of wine glasses with all these kitsch sort of things piled on top of each other. But the, the, the artwork itself is the photograph um, mm-hmm. of this sculpture. So there's that, like you look at how are we displaying sculptures now as photographs or um, the identity politics. So we're looking at Nikki S. Lee sitting with this redneck and she's pretending to be his wife for the photograph or identity politics with, um, with Cindy Sherman being these damsels in distress in these untitled film stills. Um, yeah, it becomes a, a really great way to break down um, the, different, the different realms and um, I think would be easier to navigate if you got that book. Uh, so you could look at, okay, we've got still life, we've got landscape and we've got portrait and then watch where all of those go and where they intersect uh, because postmodernism does uh, love to intersect and reinvent. And you could have uh, a photograph touching on all of those things. So. That's a great suggestion. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'll certainly. No problem. Uh, Next. Yeah, include uh, like a There's link one more to that. Too. Gil- Gilda Williams. Uh, mm-hmm. This might be more for you, but she wrote "How to Write About Contemporary Art," mm. and that is a great pocket book. It's not very long, and it was just something that I really liked when I was an undergrad, because I was the same. It's like when I went to high school, I wrote my essays analyzing the painting you know your elements of art, you know your principles of design, so you know where to start. But this one, it gives you more um, freedom uh, and, and uh, yeah, the ability to actually figure out on your own um, using research. Like, how hard is it to actually just, yeah, look up on your computer what you're seeing in this photograph. Hmm. Find out the history of uh, this type of flower or what is the history, like things in visual art are very specific. And for a long time, uh, even today, they're used as a way to speak in code, Mm. Um, uh, especially in times of um, uh, prejudice. So uh, Goya was painting images of uh, the Spanish Inquisition, and um, we've got a lot of queer artists in the last hundred years showing themselves and uh, with different symbols or signifiers to show that they're different, but not actually outright saying that. So um, doing the research, I think, is really important. Mm, Okay, fantastic. I mean, like, um, 
as always, I'll, I'll kind of put the links to the two texts in the bottom. Mm-hmm. But certainly, I think both of those are worth, um, yeah, digesting before uh, teaching photography. They're they're fantastic. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, the You're yeah, welcome. the only thing, the only thing that remains for you to say, sadly, is um, thank you very much for offering up your time to discuss this today. I think before we started recording, I said that there's like two things that I've been really keen to discuss. Uh, with an expert one is photography and one is rap music so unless you've got any uh, um, kind of uh, <laughs> any uh, ideas with regard to that particular genre as well I'll uh, just have to thank you for the fantastic ideas and insights for um, photography well I think um, I think the direct correlate correlation for rap to me is poetry I think mm-hmm. even song as a music maker, as a poet, as uh, a singer, I see them as very, very similar mm-hmm. things. We're writing with we're writing with meter. We're we're rhyming. It's just so obviously the same thing. Uh, so I I don't think you should be too afraid of rap. I think it's just uh, culturally very rich and. Um, uh, quite perverse which is interesting it's like how do we how do we continue these art movements like poetry and like singing and make them exciting again and i think rap did that i think Mm. uh rap really shocked some people and and still continues to do so and says things that maybe um are quite hard to say just like art says things maybe that uh we we choose not to say so Maybe thank I'll you very to, uh, much i yeah, enjoyed maybe, talking maybe i'll have to get you on again to discuss that but um yeah <laughs> but, um thank you yeah thanks again ethan i'll uh i'll have to love you and leave you you're so welcome have a good night and congratulations on the new baby <laughs> i'm excited <laughs>